Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy from Utah. And I am Ken in Indiana. Today, we have some exciting Christmas presents for you. Well, are these Christmas presents from us or just from me, Ken? Eh, Christmas present from you, a New Year's present from me. You know, it's all the same. Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, uh, we have Christmas presents to offer, slash New Year's presents to offer. Uh, One is an interview with Matt Merker uh, that we'll get to here in just a moment. And the other is my music review that I release every year at the end of each year for the best Christian albums of that year. So you can go to jeremyhoward.net right now and look at my list of the best albums of 2020, the year that was, the year that we're happy to see go away. And uh, you can you can check that out today. Uh, it is on my website. But we do have this interview with Matt Merker, and uh, we had a good conversation, didn't we, Ken? We did. It was fan- very edifying. Matt Merker is a name you may not recognize right off the bat. Uh, he is uh, someone who's served on staff with Mark Dever at Capitol Hill's uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He has also recently taken on a role with Getty Music. He's on staff with Keith and Kristen Getty in Nashville. Uh, but even though you might not recognize his name, you've certainly felt his influence in your church if you sing theologically rich songs. Uh, we have him to thank for several songs that many of our churches sing, and you'll find out more about that in our interview. And we are between seasons right now. Uh, We are between season two and season three. This is an off-season interview that we're offering to you as just a bonus uh, episode. And we hope that you enjoy this conversation. Instead of using our typical intro music, our our theme music, uh, we're going to actually play a clip of my middle child, Matthias, singing one of the songs we can thank Matt Merker for. He will hold me fast. Uh, We'll play this clip for you, and then on the other side of that, uh, we will get into that interview. Our guest today is the Director of Creative Resources and Training for Getty Music. He has brought to life many songs that have become dear to the church over the last several years, including All Praise to Him and He Will Hold Me Fast. He holds degrees from Vanderbilt University and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee. His new book, Corporate Worship, How the Church Gathers as God's People, will be available on February 23rd. Matt Merker, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Matt, you and your family, you, uh, you've adopted two children, and you're currently living in Nashville, Tennessee, and this has been a pretty wild year. How have you guys navigated this wild year, and what's this season of life been like for you? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, it's been hard. Uh, it's a good uh, year to be reminded of our frailty and the brokenness of the world and the longing of the church through every age, which is come, Lord Jesus, and, and make all things new. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we moved our family to Nashville to serve Keith and Kristen Getty and their team right before the pandemic uh, began. But uh, thankfully, my wife and I both went to college here. And so we were familiar with the city. We had some relationships here. And we, most importantly, knew of a church that we wanted to plug into. So we were able to join Trinity Church of Nashville. Uh, I've been friends with the pastor there for a long time. We, we knew lots of other folks in the congregation. And they've been wonderfully welcoming Uh, We're in a great community group that mainly meets by Zoom or outdoors and socially distanced, uh, but 
we've been able to dive in and open up our lives to folks and be cared for. Uh, we've had some health challenges this year unrelated to COVID. Uh, so definitely some trials and the Lord's been faithful and taught us our dependence on him. Um, and we've tried to take advantage of the unique opportunities of this season as well, doing more singing with our kids, trying to enjoy more time at home, cooking things and, and doing all of that. So it's been fine by God's grace. So kind of a, a side note here, uh, you knew of a church you were going to be attending before you moved there. Like that's an important consideration that people should make when they move. <laughs> Definitely. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons why we were so excited about this opportunity to serve the Gettys is because we automatically knew of a church where uh, we thought the, the teaching was solid and biblical. And we agreed with the ecclesiology and the, the way that the community of the church is set up. And uh, so that's, that's, that was great. And and you don't lead corporate worship there, I I don't think. I was looking on the website, and it looks like there's a director of corporate worship. What's your level of involvement with lead, leading the music time there? I just serve from time to time. I'll play piano or sing. I'll be leading the singing this Sunday, uh, but just as a member of the church. I'm not on staff or anything like that. I've only been there for a year. Okay, cool. Your new book, uh, Corporate Worship, is coming out here in, in the beginning of 2021. And it's a part of the Building Healthy Churches series that's put out by Nong Marks, which for those of you listening, if you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to, to look into that series. It's a great, great series. I've really benefited from several of the books mm-hmm. in that series. Could you just speak to a little bit about what that book is about and why the church should be interested in thinking carefully about corporate worship? Yeah, thanks, Ken. Basically, the book is about the fact that to or understand corporate worship, we need to understand the church. Too often we think about worship or worship in church, worship on Sundays, public worship, as something that I do as an individual to connect with the Lord. That is true. Uh, Worship is not less than that, but it's more than that. Uh, So I wanted to take our ecclesiology, our understanding of who we are as a gathered people, and plug that in with our doxology, our theology of what it means to glorify God and sing his praise and here preaching to his praise and, and gather to his praise. So that, that's why the book exists, because I think if you have a deep and thick view of what a church is, it transforms everything about the way you see Sunday morning, from how you pick songs to how you lead songs, how you think about preaching and the Lord's Supper, how you order the service and put it all together. Uh, all of that comes into focus when we understand that the Bible calls us to see ourselves not just as individual believers who have been born again and redeemed, but as part of God's people, the church. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. And, and you've been in church your whole life. It, from what I've read, you have known the Lord from a young age and um, you went to Vanderbilt uh, for music. And then of course, went on to Southern Seminary and you went there and got your MDiv, I think. Um, yeah. I never lived there. Okay. The wonders of online education. That's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but as you went went through these courses of learning with music being dear to your heart, I'm sure the whole time, and yeah. serving in various churches, could you walk us through the evolution of your thinking regarding corporate worship and, and how uh, perhaps you've come to the understanding where you're at today from where you were? Yeah, great question. Well, growing up in the vineyard Movement. Oh. Uh, I was exposed to charismatic worship uh, and the strengths of that movement. Are... Vineyard. That's what we call dispensationalism gone wrong. 
Uh, well, I was just about to compliment the vineyard. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> and say that they have a wonderful appreciation of our intimate fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, those choruses of devotion hmm. are really easy to criticize. Um, but honestly, I, I grew up understanding that we are called to love God and to show our love to Him and to have feelings of devotion and gratitude for him uh, because I grew up singing stuff like that. Now, I didn't grow up singing the, the most dense Reformed theology uh, that came later, but I, mm. I think those early formative years, the Lord still used them, and I, I have a, a really warm spot in, in my heart uh, for that movement um, of, of church music. I uh, did pastoral internship in 2009 at Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C., and that's where I really got exposed to old hymns and rich hymns and, and modern hymns. Uh, I would have known some of them. Um, what the Lord used that time to do in me was to give me a greater sense of wonder at the congregation's voice. Uh, as, as somebody who loves music, I always loved going to churches that had amazing instrumentation, really nice production, uh, not, that, not that there's anything inherently wrong in that. At CHBC, the music is very simple. The accompaniment mm -hmm. is simple. There's not that many instruments. There's not that much production. The sound system is not all that fancy. Mm -hmm. uh, instruments are not turned up all that loud. And so what you're left with is about 900 people singing harmony loud, mm -hmm. singing the songs like they mean it. And at first it was a little bit jarring uh, because... Mm -hmm the music didn't have all the dynamics that I'm used to and all the nuance that I appreciate when I listen to music in my headphones, you know, the rest of the, of the week. But there's something amazing about hearing the brothers and sisters that have covenanted with you and you with them articulating these wonderful truths in surround sound. The, 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 the church building is laid out like a semicircle, so you can see everyone, mm. you can hear everyone. They keep the lights on. There is no fog machine. It reinforces the sense that we are all singing this together. And so I would say around 2009, 2010 is when I gained a holy addiction to congregational singing. Amen. Amen. The... I love that congregational singing aspect of things. That's one of the things that I've uh, always appreciated about that's come out of the T4G conferences sure. and those those recordings. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing and really captures you know, what the scriptures say about singing songs to one another, right? Yeah. And that's that's so much about the the aspect of, of corporate worship is it's, it is a one another aspect, not just a you and the Lord thing. Yeah, in, in corporate worship, multiple things are happening from a philosophical point of view. We are addressing God, but at the same time, Ephesians 5.19 calls us to be addressing one another. That's a sign of being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to edify one another. Even as we do that, theologically, we know that it is God who wills in us to, to work in us according to his good pleasure, Philippians 2. And insofar as we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs that accord with what the Spirit has inspired, we're singing the truths of God's Word, which means that as we are addressing God and one another, God is addressing us. His Word, by His Word, He is speaking to us when the church meets. So a lot and, is going on. And would you say that 
I mean, we, we lose those things when the lights go dark and when, you know, the, the fog machine type elements are there and the instruments are loud and there's a, a big band. I mean, is there a way to maintain that kind of one anothering and song in that type of a performance-based atmosphere or, or do we lose it? It gets harder. Lose is probably too binary. So the, the theological reality that people who are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit are gathering together. And if they're singing God's word or things that are inspired by or based on his word, and if they can see one another and hear one another in some sense, then the, the one anothering, the addressing one another is happening. But it's a diff- so it's a difference of degree, not kind. Sure. It mm-hmm. is obscured. It is diminished. Uh, when those sorts of production elements make it harder to discern the body, to, to, to see and appreciate and, and hear the other redeemed saints that are around you. Hmm. Uh, and it's, I think it's detrimental to the health of the church long term. But it doesn't eliminate the truth of what's going on is that God is speaking to us by his word whenever hmm. we gather. Good. So some of the songs that you're perhaps most well known for uh, turns out are actually uh, songs that have kind of been brought back to life uh, that you've provided new music for. Uh, Songs like He Will Hold Me Fast was first written by Ada Habershon in 1908. All Praise to Him was written by Horatius Bonar, who died in 1889. And Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul was published sometime in the 1700s. What's the selection process like for you, and, and how do you find these, and what do you find particularly edifying about bringing these songs back to life? Oh, great question. Yes. Uh, in a sense, collaborating with the dead, uh, <laughs> which I learned from, from Kevin Twitt and Indelible Grace and, and others who have, who have done this before. Um, so the, the, it wasn't the Witch of Indoor then. That's good. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, these, these wonderful texts need to be retrieved. They are encouraging. Um, and in different generations, Christians will prioritize or emphasize certain themes. And in our generation, uh, although it's being recovered, the themes of suffering and lament and yearning for heaven are less represented in church music. But if you go back to someone like Anne Steele, who wrote Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul, her hymns are full of, of sadness and suffering. They read a little bit more like the Psalms. The Psalms are full of lament. Uh, and so Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul her text, which I heard through Kevin Twitt's Indelible Grace version, a, a beautiful recording, a beautiful setting of that, which has been sung by Sandra McCracken. Um, I simply wanted to also set that to music, a simpler, I wanted to set it to a simpler tune because my wife and I had a miscarriage. Mm. Uh, so we lost a child and I uh, was ministered to by the words that she wrote out of her suffering. And so God's using these words that are hundreds of years old to speak to me and my wife in our trial. Uh, and so I, I wanted to be able to, in a, sense, in a sense, sing that with my wife or sing that in that situation, almost in the lullaby. The tune that I wrote that is exceedingly simple, and it's kind of a lullaby for the child that we lost. Uh, so that's why I think these, these texts deserve to be sung today, because everything we sing uh, is part of our discipleship. It's part of how we, we wait on the Lord until he returns. Uh, so that's what's behind songs like He Will Hold Me Fast as well. At, at T4G this this 2020, uh, you had a breakout session. Of course, this was all held virtually. Uh, but during that breakout session, you challenged some of the pastors that were there with a question 
Does your church sing songs that are honest about suffering and difficulty? And you just mentioned that concept of laments that it's one of those aspects of church worship that have been, has been lost and maybe is beginning to be recovered. Can you speak more to the importance of lament and maybe some of your thinking behind the question that you challenge pastors with? Yeah. Uh, Carl Truman has done a great job noticing this uh, and speaking about this. He has a little chapter or article called What Can Miserable Christians Sing? Hmm. where he made the provocative point that if you look at a lot of contemporary worship music, uh, it, it fits very well in a prosperity gospel context. Mm. Um, and that should concern us because mm. when we read the Psalms, which are the songs that Jesus sang, we see a lot of suffering. We see that God's people are opposed, that we endure pain and hardship. And Paul promises that if, if we are in Christ, we will face opposition. Uh, so w- we, we understand that trials do not invalidate the Christian life. In a sense, they confirm it. Uh, we, we are called to suffer with Christ and we will be glorified with him. That's the pattern, suffering and glory. And our songs need to represent that. They need to teach people to expect that. And they need to equip people to be able to bring their sorrows to the Lord. So that when we have a lament, it's not that we, we turn inward or that we turn from God, but that we, to, we turn to God following the example that we have set out for us in Scripture. That doesn't mean that everything a church sings is in the minor key or is a dirge. There's still a wonderful place for songs of great joy and exuberance. And, and that's prob- that is, it's probably appropriate if joy is the predominant note or theme mm-hmm. in a church's singing. But there should be space for the minor key sadness as well. Yeah, it's almost like self-deception when we're singing songs that are so much about victory and things going great and Monday through Saturday, Sunday afternoon through Saturday (laughs) night, uh, we're not living it. Um, and it can, it, it basically walks discipleship backwards as you were mentioning earlier with discipleship, um, by not causing people to think through that biblically. Right. Yeah. I agree. So, um, so, Music is a powerful tool. I think you also mentioned in that uh, breakout session um, something that's true but hard for pastors to hear in that uh, people remember songs and they don't remember sermons very well. <laughs> and it is so true. I mean, I I expect between Sundays people probably lose 90% of what they heard. Uh, but songs, um, you know, things that are set to a melody that they can hide in their heart, they remember and it is a disservice from the local church if we're not equipping them to think through hard things. And and you've said that it is the elder's responsibility to man—well, not manage—shepherd uh, the people through their management of the songs that the, that the church sings. What dangers exist when elders abdicate that responsibility? Well, the dangers that exist is that uh, the teaching function of the songs that we sing can get— Gradually, it doesn't usually happen intentionally or maliciously. Uh, but think about it this way: if the elders are those who are able to teach, it's part of their qualification, according to First Timothy three, and songs teach. Well, then the elders should be looking at what the songs say. That doesn't mean they have to directly pick every song for each Sunday. There's a thousand ways it can be worked out. It can be done in collaboration. Uh, but I have concerns about the model where the pastor says, well, you know, this is my sermon. This is what I'm preaching mm-hmm. on. You go pick whatever songs you want to the, to the music leader. 
Uh, now, hopefully that music leader is godly, they love Christ, uh, they, they hopefully have a sense of discernment. Uh, but it's, it's really important for the elders to at least be approving the canon of songs that are chosen from in, in some form or fashion. Well, and, and we're all familiar with the term worship wars, which has a definition that's, you know, kind of old, I think, as far as the hymns versus, you know, guitars and drums, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that sort of organs versus uh, bass guitar. But, uh, you know, I'm wondering if we are in a new season of worship wars that might just be really beginning, that might not be at its peak yet with maybe people who are wanting more theologically rich songs with lesser instrumentation rather than the rock concerts with shallow lyrics. Are, are you sensing that? Have you found yourself counseling people in the midst of that in their churches? What what's Do you have your finger on the pulse of that conversation? Well, I think it is an important conversation. I, I think it probably mirrors the larger evangelical uh, landscape in a sense um, I, I do think there is a very small movement of, you know, churches that embrace and love, uh, shall we call them doctrinally rich songs. Mm. They don't have to be long. They can be modern. They can be done with a band, but songs that, that are very substantive in how they exalt Christ and how they unpack truths. They're still emotive. They're still beautiful. It's not just a theology lesson set to music. Um, you know, songs by, for example, Keith and Kristen Getty, who I work for, or Stuart Townend, or City Alight, or Sovereign Grace Music, or Matt Boswell and Matt Papa, uh, Sandra McCracken, Kevin Twitt, all these sorts of names and figures. I think the people who are into this kind of music, and they're mostly my friends, uh, guys <laughs> like you, I think it's a small circle. And I think broad evangelicalism largely participates in, if we might call it the contemporary worship movement with a capital C, W, and M, uh, which has some fine songs, which has some songs sure. that, are, that are quite edifying and based on biblical texts. And so it's not a sort of binary, one is bad, one is good. It's a spectrum and it, there's lots of trends there. So I, I don't know that there's really a war to be had because I think the sort of contemporary worship movement that is ca characterized by songs that tend to be simpler that tend to focus more on human emotion, uh, that tend to have a pop uh, style of production, Th that that has captured literally the market share yeah, of right. the worship industrial complex, if I could call it that. And I do think that should be concerning to us, but I don't, I don't actually think there's a war. I think they have won the war. Uh, but I'm still fighting for the other side. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's good, and we appreciate that. And we, that's one of the reasons why we want to have you on and highlight your ministry is because we do very much appreciate it uh, from our hearts. We, our churches are impacted by your ministry in in really blessed ways. So, well, and just and just just to to follow up on that, and I, I appreciate the kind words. I don't. I don't usually see this in antagonistic war language. Sure, I think that's right. probably not so helpful, yeah. uh, because I, I, I'm a, I'm a peacemaker by disposition, and so I see it as brothers and sisters in Christ who have different convictions about singing, and those convictions matter. Yeah. They have consequences, and my approach is not to fire, you know, missiles to the other side. You're wrong. Uh, my approach is to, is to hug and then while hugging debate, you realize this is so <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I, 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 that's I, kind I of what we try to do on this podcast. That. So that, that works out great. 
that's <laughs> that's the goal here is is to recognize you know where this isn't a hill to die on but this is a hill that we should meet at and talk about wisdom so exactly yeah, yeah. well as you have sought to minister to the church in this way you have done something remarkable and is that you have made your music very accessible which we really appreciate. But uh, your website, mattmerkermusic.com, encourage people to uh, visit there, but your music is very accessible there. Why is it important for you to have your music so accessible for the church? Just because I, I mean, it's, it's a kind of a strange question. I, I, I write this stuff mainly for my own devotion, for my family, for my congregation to sing. And I put it up there just because sometimes people ask, you know, I just want to be helpful. If other churches sing the songs, I'm, I'm like tickled pink. I never would have expected that. Uh, so I just know for myself as someone who likes to lead singing, if I want to introduce someone else's song, I want to be able to find it easily. How can I find the words? How can I find the chords? Uh, so I've only put it up there for, for that reason, just in, in case someone stumbles upon it and they can't think of anything that they think is better to sing, somehow they want to sing my stuff, there it is. You can have it. Yeah. Amen. And that is a that is a huge blessing because, I, yes. I mean, as someone from a, you know, a smaller local church, um, trying to find the resources that you need, sometimes the best you can get is Ultimate Guitar or whatever, where some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. some guy threw <laughs> chords on there and, it, hey, it's got a three and a half star rating, must be close, let's paint it out, you know? <laughs> so so it is, it's extremely helpful. And, and it, I think it does show your heart for the church. I mean, that, that you want the, the church to be able to, um, you know, get what they need. Um, and I appreciate you helping the church out that way. Mm. So um, in the world of songwriting, I, 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 this is my question. I really wanted to ask this question. In, in the world of, of songwriting that's out there, it seems like there's a lot of collaboration that goes on in music, perhaps more so than the vast majority of other ministries where people come together to write songs or, or you know, to provide the music for the lyrics that are already there or whatever. In your perspective, because you're living in that world, that's your ministry, yeah. is there a purity that you seek to maintain in that world when it comes to partnering with others in ministry? What's that struggle like for you? As we were just talking about recognizing brothers in Christ, but different sets of convictions. I mean, how have you learned to draw the line there in this crazy world of Christian music that has so many so many webs everywhere? How do you seek to maintain some sort of a purity in that regard? Uh, it's not really something I've had to, to wrestle with because there's not a ton of people knocking on my door wanting to write songs with me. So <laughs> I, I mainly write songs with the people that I trust that I am amazed they want to write a song with me because these guys make the song better. Hmm. Um, and we have a shared theology and a shared friendship. Uh, so I, I think those are the best kinds of collaborations. I, I do think songwriting is unique because it's highly artistic. Uh, it's not exactly right, like writing a sermon, although... I've seen pastors who are quite collaborative in their sermon writing process. Uh, but a song is something that ideally, once it's finished, you, you want it to last. And it's, you can't then edit it once you've shared it, which means it just you, you take a lot of time. You go through certain revisions. Certain writers are more gifted musically. Others are more gifted lyrically. And the collaboration helps because it's got to get past everybody's filter before you decide that it's done. Uh, so, I mean, the main person that I write songs with is Jordan Coughlin. And we've been writing together for years. Uh, you wouldn't know it by how many songs we've finished. But again, that's because of the, the process. It just, you know, you can sometimes take a year or two finishing a song. It's, it's quality over quantity for us. It's slow writing. 
it's not writing to a quota or to any kind of, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost writing for the fun of it and, and to serve our, our churches. Um, and so, you know, we've had long talks about the Bible, about family, theology, you name it. Uh, and so we have a shared vision for the, the song, kind of songs that we want our churches to sit. Now, I will say, you know, in, uh, other writers that I know, friends, they will take the opportunity sometimes to write with someone who may be from a different theological stream. Mm-hmm. And, and you just negotiate that. You, you, you think about what's this particular song about? Are, are we writing for a project? Is it a Christmas song? Um, is it a song for on the resurrection? You know, that's something that all Christians should believe in and agree in. Uh, so everyone has a different sort of conscience about cooperation with, with yes. those who may have differences. And I just encourage people to listen to your conscience, seek godly counsel, pray, and, and follow the wise path. Amen. Amen. And that is, uh, that's, should be the goal for yeah. all Christians in so many areas of life. And it's yeah. so difficult. I, you know, I'm in the middle of doing the 2020 review right now. I'm waist deep in, I've listened to probably somewhere between 200 and 250 albums that came out this year. <laughs> and it always amazes me how much it comes out every year in the world of Christian music. And the diversity that exists, not just in genre, but in, uh, I don't know, the things they want to communicate through their songs. I mean, it is just a, a vast, uh, chasm, uh, between, you know, the most conservative and the most questionable stuff that's out there. And, and it is a difficult, uh, place to navigate exactly what is pure and wise or what is really dangerous. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we do need to develop our consciences on that because we're, we're affected by music in really dramatic ways. Amen. So. so you're currently serving with the Gettys now as the Director of Creative Resources and Training. What has it been like serving with the Gettys, and what is your role exactly with uh, serving as that director? Thanks for asking. It's been great, wonderful people, wonderful team, wonderful vision. Essentially, Keith and Kristen and their team, we, the hope is that in 30 years from now or 50 years from now, churches around the world are singing better songs than they are today. Uh, it doesn't have to be songs written by us. Uh, it's just singing songs of great beauty, stirring melodies, rich theology. That's what we want to see. That's, that's what they wake up every day praying for. That's what they've committed their lives to. So it's, it's a thrill getting to serve on the team. And my role mainly involves helping with our annual conference. We have a conference called Sing. Mm. It's now called Sing Global with the pandemic. We Mm. went virtual, which meant that we could go global and we could have uh, people attend from every continent and we could have people lead singing and speak from every continent. Uh, So we're we're trying gradually to add more of that international flair and and find ways prayerfully that we can uh, learn from and also contribute to equipping our brothers and sisters in, in different cultures and in, in different countries. So I, I help uh, kind of manage all the content for the conference. And we're, we've also started a new hymn writing collective. Hmm. Uh, so these days what I'm spending my time doing is meeting with aspiring hymn writers or experienced hymn writers who just want to polish their skills, doing coaching calls, reviewing oh, songs, right. giving feedback, uh, arranging webinars where Keith and others uh, teach and, and provide tips. So Really exciting. We had 200 people sign up for our first round. Uh, so I would, that's what I'm doing. After this call, I'm going to go back to listening to <laughs> hymns that have come in and try to give any advice I can on, on how to make them better, which is challenging to do, and it's humbling to, to get to try to do. And uh, what I will say is I'm very optimistic about the future of church mm-hmm. music. 
because people are sending in songs that are exalting Jesus, that are rich in the truths of the cross and what he's done for us, the atonement, his return, you name it. People are writing great stuff. So I think you guys should be excited. That's, that's great. We're excited. And, and Keith and Kristen, of course, uh, you know, people like us, we just know them through their music and things that we see online, YouTube or interviews or whatever. Uh, they just seem like sweet, precious, sincere people. Can you, can you confirm that for us? I can <laughs> confirm that. Yes. Now, if you get, if you root for someone other than Liverpool football club, oh, then no. you will get <laughs> notes of great sarcasm and pity from Keith. Oh dear. Uh, so what, what as soon have... as the conversation turns to, soccer you know football for, for the brits uh-huh. then you know all that sweetness is gone but yes what, what if you have negative things to say about soccer in general that, that's probably not mouth good. closed yeah. okay <laughs> she keep jeremy away from away from them yeah okay yeah right. so well they probably don't like baseball so i guess it's even uh... <laughs> i'm a big baseball fan though Okay. Right. Let's see. Wait, no, hold on. You're you spent time in nashville where but you're from new york are you like a mets guy I am. I root for the lovable okay. losers. Yeah. The New York wow. Mets. Consistently that, mediocre. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, Ken is a Cubs fan, so yep. for the majority of his life, he was able to relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, good. Hey, um, what? we'll just finish with what's next. Can you, um, you, you talked about helping people write hymns and, and you're, you're on with the Gettys. You haven't even been with them a full year yet, but um, w- what else as you look out to 2021 and beyond your ministry schedule? What are you, what are you excited about? What's coming up next? And um, what parting words of hope do you have for Christian music lovers out there? What's next for me is, is, is honestly more of the same. We're getting ready for sing global 2021. The theme is singing through the ages. So we're looking at church history we're trying to study the hymns of the Reformation, the hymns of the modern missions movement, the African-American spirituals uh, in this continent. Uh, so it, really exciting putting that together. We're running another hymn writing collective. Um, I am thinking in, in, in the early stages, you can pray for wisdom. I would love to write a book on congregational singing in particular. Mm-hmm. My corporate worship book that comes out soon is on the whole gathering it's kind of a theology of the worship gathering. So I do address singing, but it's only the final chapter. So I now want to kind of dive in and and expand that final chapter into a whole book, Hmm. really practical aimed at the church music leader or or the pastor who says, I I love singing. I want my people to sing. How do I help them sing better? Hmm. Um, So I'm in the early stages of that. You guys can pray for wisdom there. I would love to write on that subject. Really passionate about that. And then I'm just continuing to try to write songs. My personal goal is just to publish two or three songs a year. Uh, so uh, if I can keep, mm. keep that up, it's, it's just, it's become a discipline for me. I try to write some musical idea almost every day, uh, it's, which is not as exhausting as it sounds. It's really stimulating mm. for me. And sometimes that's just 20 minutes at the piano. Uh, so that's mainly for my personal sanity because I find that yeah. playing music helps me to remember the Lord and trust in him and helps me with my anxiety that I struggle with. Hmm. Uh, so that's just part of my ongoing routine is, is trying to write melodies and, and write songs for the church. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we do need to sing better as churches. And so, um, we'll certainly be lifting you up in prayer for that. And, uh, would love to see a book on that, that can equip local churches, uh, for that very important task. So thank you so much for, 
caring for the church in this way and seeking to uh, help us all to sing better. You're welcome. Thanks to you guys.